You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hi, Hannies. It's Amiria Sai, and you're back for season two of The Take On. Hi, y'all. Welcome back to The Take On. It's Amiria Yaz. I'm here with my clubhouse, become my good friends in real life, Tessa Kanene and Leela Talks. How are you, sweethearts? So good. Awesome. So happy to be here with you, Boo. Yay. Thanks for having me. I've been so excited all week. Like, I was telling you guys offline, literally, like, it feels like work sometimes interviewing people, but like, I'm so excited to talk to you guys. It's just like friends. So I'm just. And these bios, honeys, I never read the full bios, but I'm going to read them fully because they're so impressive. Um, Let's do it, right? (laughs) Let's Let's start with Tessa. So Tessa is an activist based in Boston where she works in social justice and criminal justice at Harvard University. Okay, okay. For anyone that's not listening, serves on a leadership council for cultural diplomacy under the Biden-Harris administration. No biggie, right? No biggie. And on the side is a, on the side is a gorgeous model. I'm gonna add gorgeous and campaign strategist for a variety of brands, including <laughs> including Nike's Equality Campaign and Sephora's We Belong Campaign. I mean, Tessa, honey, you can't be this nice, this gorgeous, this cultural, this intersectional, and just such a good friend. I'm just uh, in awe, um, obsessed. You are far <laughs> too sweet and too kind. I, I love you. <laughs> Thank you for the Of course. It, I mean, intro. listen, t- I always say, like, the road leads both ways. You've been so supportive of me on Clubhouse, especially when I was a newbie. So um, I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot. So, um, and we're moving right along to Miss Leela Talks. Leela Talks is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, Ooh. grassroots activist, professor, PhD candidate, and YouTuber. I mean, could you be doing more? I love it. Um, she's known on Clubhouse for a bubbly... <laughs> Right? I mean, come on, girl. Um, She's known on Clubhouse for a bubbly personality check, straightforward talk, absolutely, and consistently standing up for Mm -hmm. women on the stage, which I have been definitely privy to this. And Lila's actually helped facilitate conversations with people that I've had issues with as well to, like, kind of move forward and move um, along. And also follow her clubs. Lila talks. um, They have amazing rooms on misogyny and all kinds of topics and it's just like dismantling a lot of bullshit in this in our world um and also the happy and friendly (laughs) humans which i already love that title um yeah just just follow both of them they're amazing we'll put all the links in after um but i the first question right off the bat just to get us warmed up is what do you think if you would put into a sentence is something that you want to work on in the next 10 years like for me it's i'll start off it's to really minimize shame in the queer community. So that's kind of my mission. So everything I do kind of goes back to that. But I'd love to hear, we'll start with Leela and then we'll go to Tessa about kind of in a sentence or longer, like what's something that you are really pushing for in the next 10 years? 
So yeah, Amir, um, I guess internally for me, um, I really want to focus on uh, my well-being, my sense of inner peace. You know, folks like me and Tess and I think a lot of others who give a lot to um, the community, sometimes you need to kind of reset and make sure that you're whole. So that's kind of my personal goal is just to do a little bit more self-care and uh, well-being. With that said, as far as my impact and my goals for my community with, you know, women and gender race related issues, it's all about empowerment. It's all about giving people a reference point that XYZ is possible. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to get my PhD so that people could say, oh, wow, like Tessa, you can be a professor, you can be an entrepreneur, you can be a real estate agent, you can do anything that you want. But mm-hmm. I think people need to see that in order for them to as- aspire and reach for that. So that's pretty much it. Just woman empowerment, and then giving people kind of specific tangible goals on how they can reach I love that. that. That's, and, and listen, I think it's it, it's about demystifying some of these things, especially when someone's starting out, especially like when it comes to entertainment, a lot of people are like, how do I do it? What do I do? I want to read all these books, but I love that you're tangible steps, mm. tangible goals. I think there's like PhD, right? Like being on camera host, it seems kind of unattainable, um, especially if you're BIPOC or, you know, a mm. woman, it's like seems so unattainable. So I love that you said that, like tangible ways mm-hmm. of getting there. That, that's great. I love that. I'm a fan. Yeah. And Tessa's great for that. I know we're going to pass the baton, but I mean, I think that's the thing. Sometimes people are very theoretical and very high level and like, you know, fluff, but that's what mm. I love about Tessa and you. It's like, doing solution-oriented work and being really specific on how people can get Amen there. So, that. Um, that. Tessa, it's all you, babe. Thank you, Amir. I love this question. Uh, and sitting beside Leela to answer because I agree with so much of what you said. I would say in the next 10 years, I want to lean into... I always say any space I walk into, I want to bring a little more humanity, a little more honesty, a little more humor. So I hope I just can continue at minimum to do that and to really um, make that my priority. And then also to my mission in life is to to inspire and equip the next generation of leaders. I want to empower as many folks I can, especially young folks. <laughs> I'm 10 years, I'll be super old. So I think the work that I do with uh, young people is um, what is closest to my heart and where I hope that I can leave a mark. And I do it in a variety, variety of ways from mentoring at a jail to Brothersburg sisters, students, my first little nephew, who's one years old. So think of anything I just want to um, always work with people to give them grace and space to be their full selves and um, to, you know, just shine in this world that can sometimes be so hard and so dark. And so if I can just be that light for anyone, I think I will have done enough. So I think th- those are my goals for the next 10 years, just to see how I can um, be my full self and um, empower others to do the same. I love that. And I think that, you know, you know, it's also like, like what Leela mentioned about self-care as well. Like, all three of us do a lot of activism and it can feel very like exhausting. And like you said, the world is dark and meek. Like I have days where I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, what's the point of like even leaving Mm -hmm. my house? Like with all the stuff that's happening in Palestine. And then just on top of it, there's still, you know, this two weeks ago, a Middle Eastern 20 year old was murdered by his parents for being gay. I mean, there's so much stuff that's coming at me. And then also on top of it, the hate. So what I want to ask y'all is how do you deal with that activism burnout? Like, do you like? I know Leela is really good about being like, okay, I need to take a step back. I'm gonna refocus, which I love. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like need to learn because I think I go to the edge and then I'm like, oh my god, I'm gonna have a breakdown. Like even with the whole Palestine stuff, I had mm. to like just 
log out of Instagram for a whole day because I was like, I cannot take on the, number one, the hate, um, the unfollows, the anger that people had towards me for just speaking the truth. So how do you navigate that? I, I would really love to know. Um, this is Lila. Yes. I'll go first. Um, definitely take breaks. And that's through experience, Amir. It wasn't like, oh, all of a sudden. It was through previous burnout, uh, <laughs> working with nonprofits and other passionate projects that I had that I've basically volunteered my time. And I, I, I'm going to be completely honest here. I did and gave so much of myself, but at the end, it wasn't rewarding because I was so burnt out that I was like, wow, instead of a place of feeling a sense of like relief and happiness, you know, for all the work that we did, I felt tired mm -hmm. and exhausted and emotionally drained and felt like I didn't want to do that effort again. And that's not good, right? Like we want to be able to do great work and repeat it and continue to, you know, pass it forward. And so now with that experience, I'm like, okay, when I'm feeling like my energy is low, or if I feel like I'm getting a little bit irritable, right? When I'm doing a lot of self-check, I said, oh, just gonna step away, right? I'm like, there's no, like, you can't be a vehicle for change if like you're broken, <laughs> right? If, you, if you're not um, being healthy internally with like your mind and, and your space. And that energy resonates, right? Like, as you mentioned in my bio, like, oh, I'm so bubbly, I'm so positive. I mean, that is my natural state. Um, but if I'm not feeling 100% and, and I'm feeling, um, you know, down or I'm feeling like frustrated by people who are being, you know, arrogant or rude, that's going to translate and that's not going to be constructive to uh, the conversation and, you know, changing minds and hearts. Um, so I'm really, really big on taking breaks and just doing self-check-ins, mm, really. I love that. Can you repeat what you said about being broken? Because I want that on a t-shirt. We need to hear that one more time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what I said. I mean, pretty much you can't, you can't give out to the world if you're mm -hmm. not whole yourself, right? If you're, if you're broken inside, you, what can you give? You're going to give it's input out, input mm -hmm. in, input out, right? And so if you're getting toxic energy or, you know, this environment, and you can only take so much, right? Like we're still human beings. Like I think sometimes when you see like Amir or Tess or anyone who's on Clubhouse or even on the stage, you see people like Linda, you yes. know, I'm a huge fan of her. And it's like, these are still mm -hmm. human beings, folks. We're not robots. Like you still have feelings. You still, you know, these harmful comments that people say on social media can affect people. And so sometimes you just have to step away because you don't want that toxic and that damage, you know, rhetoric to kind of potentially in, you mm -hmm. internalize that. Um, and that, that's not a great feeling. And so, yeah, if you're feeling icky inside or if you feel, if you're feeling broken, um, that's not going to be a good output to the people that you're trying to serve eventually. Right. Amen. And mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of like, love to give. Like I know that when I've reached a wall, like I've taken a break from Clubhouse because I kind of reached a wall where I felt like I was being snappy at people and I was like, well, this isn't the best version of Amir. Mm. So yes, I'm running big rooms, but if I'm being snappy and kind of cold and callous, that's not really who I am at my core. So I had to take a step back and it's been mm -hmm. really, really illuminating. And I think that I've refocused. So when I do come back, I can really serve in the right way, like you said. So I, that really resonated with me. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Absolutely. Um, Tessa, like how, you know, obviously this new position, you know, working with like an administration, I know that it's like working with the administration. It's like, do you feel like at times with the activism and this job, are there moments where you're like, it's a lot? Like, how do you navigate? You know, it, it's it just hearing it is like, is kind of intimidating. Thank you so much for this question, right? Yes, I often feel it's a lot. I've, I've felt that for a long time. And one of the things, because a lot of the work that I dive into or that I dive into is um, 
know, around injustices around the world, criminal justice things here in the United States. And so it leaves your mm-hmm. heart heavy, right? And I think what I have done um, to be able to balance that is to change my perspective and to dive deep into gratitude um, for even mm. being able to do this work. And I, what I think about is um, those who came before me. And um, for them, this work was often one, unattainable, dangerous, or impossible. And so my my family's from Uganda and East Africa, in which my grandfather, and who is like my biggest inspiration, was in the first cabinet when Uganda became independent in the 1960s. And he was part of a progressive movement, like would have been best friends with both of you. <laughs> um, he, I mean, he's still alive, but yeah, he's <laughs> awesome. And um, yeah, and for the the work that they did, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't so glorious. I mean, soon after the government was overthrown, he was incarcerated for five years and and in exile. The country went through genocide and civil war and just so many things, right? That had that has had generational impact um, on our family and so many others. And so I think when I when I have those moments, I know that I'm doing this work on the backs of so many other people that paved the way, that made that path a little bit more clear, a little bit more stable, a little bit less rocky. So even when it feels really hard, and I'm a really sensitive person, really emotional, but I know that it's, that you can never, you know, one of my favorite quotes, Lila's heard me probably say this before, is that we um, we drink from wells we did not dig, and we can never pay it back, we can always pay it forward. So when, I, when I'm in moments like those, I try to remember like what well, my grandma or great grandma, what they were doing or thinking and what they had to deal with. And it doesn't, it doesn't strip away our emotions and our feelings. Absolutely not. But at least it helps me kind of turn the corner when you get those hate messages of me or, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I remember that I'm doing it in the legacy and a lineage um, of folks that dealt with things like this on different platforms, not on social media, but maybe face to face. And I and I think about that fear, and I think about that faith that they had. Um, and I feel like that's what I use to fuel me. And then, like in just like a personal life aspect, some one of some of the things I do just to like allow me to do this day by day. It's so cheesy, mm-hmm. but I start. Um, I love what Leela said is that if you don't fill yourself up, how can you um, pour into others? I start every day doing something that I love just for me. So this morning, I made myself pancakes, breakfast in bed. (laughs) I had orange juice out of a wine glass. I was out here watching clips from the last episode of the Kardashians. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. I just just like to do something like that. Sometimes, you know, it's a workout. Sometimes whatever Mm -hmm. it is, Um, you know, singing in the shower. It sounds so silly, Mm -hmm. um, but it's a fun way just to make sure that tomorrow is going to be a better day than today when it's hard. My mom used to put a song in her alarm of like a song that's going to wake her up if she's having a bad day. So you wake up and you're listening to the song and it energizes you. And those small things, I feel like if I do one of those things in the morning, then it's like I, then I'm able to whatever... Um, negativity that that just pieces off little tiny parts. But if I, if you build yourself up, I think of my day as like a jar of marbles. And if I fill all the way up, then whatever bullshit comes at me, they just are <laughs> away little marbles, but it's, but it's not, but it's not digging from within. So I just, I like to do um, just like small things like that to start my day. And then I think that allows me uh, to work with so many people and to do this work in a better headspace and um, with more energy and more light, um, especially as I think about those who came before me. I love me. that. Y'all say such good one-liners. Mm, Amir, can I ask yeah, a yeah, question Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go quick? ahead, Lila. Go ahead. 
Yeah. So Tessa, it seems like same with me, like in my answer that I talked about, which is wellness, right? Mm -hmm. And I love what you just described, these little moments of joy or these little bits of happiness. Like, have you always had that kind of practice or is that something that you've acquired as a need to like do X, Y, Z? Um, I, I think that it was like, so my, my parents are both like, so, um, they both love music and dance. Like our household was like really full of good energy. They would like wake us up singing songs and like breakfast. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So I think I just kind of, maybe I got it from them. Um, Mm -hmm. and that wasn't even because as a kid, I was working on these issues, but I think just like starting your day, um, in a, in a way like that is something that I learned from them. And I never really, um, practiced it though. So it's a good question, Leela, probably until this year, just with so much, you know, trauma and loss and everything else going on. Um, like it kind of helps me revert back to some of those practices Mm. that I remember being so helpful from before. Cause you, before that I would wake up two minutes before my alarm, like run to work, (laughs) like, like, um, go right into a meeting and not take that space and that time. And I felt that it has, it, it has helped, um, just to balance and recenter and remember that, um, that if, if, if we don't care about ourselves, that we can't care um, as deeply about others, because I think that compassion has to start within and then it can be, you know, ex- amplified and magnified to others. So I love what you said about filling yourself up. Um, yeah. So I've, I've had to, I think I've had to balance that because I also feel like I have, a, I always feel like I have not, not, not necessarily a duty, but maybe a desire um, to want to help other people. And mm-hmm. so um, I have to always apply that to myself as well. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's best served beginning of the day. My The work that I've done over the last couple of decades, it's not just like your standard nine to five. There's always something that's coming up. Um, like today I had a call with the, some things for Ronald Green. So that's why I couldn't get off. So it's like things just come up and you don't really have control over your mindset and sometimes your calendar. So I've, I have found that, um, especially increasingly recently, it's helpful to set that practice at the beginning of the day, no matter how early, sometimes Amir, I, I don't think I Amir don't. ever sleeps because he and I are always <laughs> up, like no matter what hour. Tessa <laughs> responds all the time. I'm like, do you not well, sleep? <laughs> <laughs> we're in different times so I'm like there's literally not a time when one of us is not up so I just have to like, <laughs> somehow just chime in some of that in the beginning that's of the funny day. So thank you for that's that really question. well I think it's it's really mm-hmm. well said Tessa because a lot of people are like well when am I supposed to do it like I don't have time I'm so busy I think we all have five minutes for ourselves like I I do like I try to do a meditation mm-hmm. but you know it's hard like it, you get wrapped up and I used to naively think if I did enough good for other people if I gave everything of myself then I'd start to love myself but it didn't work that way until mm. I loved myself then I mm. could actually give out the energy I needed to give out a lot of people are like oh your page it's exactly what I needed to hear today it's because I needed to hear it I'm not actually doing this stuff for other people wow that's right powerful, like I'm not Mary. doing it for other people people mistakenly oh, will be like beautiful. oh I love your profile it speaks to me and I'm like my profile the reason like I talk about what I want to talk about and I don't have any brand deals is because my profile is for myself. Because when I've done branding deals, they've told me what to post, how to post it. You have to delete Mm. that. I want to be free to... It's like the only safe space I have. So I really curate it. So that really spoke to me, Tessa, what you said. Like I really... It's for me. And I always tell people like with social media, like Mm -hmm. if you don't resonate, don't post it. Like if you... Like I, I like people that are authentic. They're like, this doesn't... I don't get this... Okay, then don't post it. That's fine. Like, you know, I 
that's fine. <laughs> like, you know, and also even, you know, with the whole Palestine thing, there there have been so many BLM activists that have posted and they've been so supportive. And I think that like, that's amazing, right? Like do it if it feels right. And like, like both of y'all have posted so organically, so authentically, so you, I could tell you were in it. Like you, that's the thing with social activism that people don't get. You don't need to be that culture to understand what's right or wrong, right? Like you don't need to be exactly. Middle Eastern. You, that's why when people say, oh, well, I don't know, BLM. I'm like, you don't need to be a black man in this country or a black woman in this country to, to do something about it, like to say something about it. Like people always, I've had so many people DM me like, then these are people I know. Well, you're not black. I'm like, oh, no shit. Like, I'm aware of that. Like, <laughs> I'm aware. Really? Like, I just, uh, you know, and I've had people even message me and say, well, you're not Palestinian. So I don't know why you're so upset. You're Persian. I'm like, it's not about mm. that. It's about what's right or wrong. So that's my next question is as the phone rings again, this hotel is going to ruin Thank my life. You. Um, anyways, like, what is the like, how have you guys navigated this? And how have you, like, this stuff is a lot, right? This Palestine that's coming at us, it's like a lot of stuff to navigate. So how have you kind of navigated and, and when have you posted and, and have you taken steps back? Um, I'm just curious with, with what's going on in Palestine. Like, how have you posted? Because I know both of y'all have posted about it. So I'm curious. Yeah, Tessa, did you want to go first or would you like me? Go ahead, love, because I just I, I was last to answer, so we'll, we'll okay, go. sure, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, cool, cool, cool. So, um, yeah, the reason why I said that is because Tessa's, you know, I think extremely. I just like adore her, and she's very knowledgeable. So for me, I think like many others, um, that the, the Palestine and um, Israeli conflict is is very complicated. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of different perspectives. There's a lot of there's a lot of history. There's a lot of nuances that make up the story. And so to be honest, I didn't post right away. I really wanted to get an understanding of the situation and um, from different sources that I trust and really educate myself. Um, and that's what I do with all my posts, whether it's BLM, whether it's regardless of what it is, I just want to feel comfortable that um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a news broadcaster, right? But I do take my posts seriously as far as something that it has integrity and so forth. And so once I came to the conclusion of kind of the atrocities that I saw, it was very disturbing from a human rights perspective. And I think there's a there's a way where I think you can only speak your truth and how you feel. People cannot question um, how you feel, you know, and, if, you know, there's scholars and there's, you know, po there's all these different people who have different um, perspectives. And one of the things I did do, actually, there was a room called um, Meet Palestinians and Israelis, I believe, on Clubhouse. And I went in there for many, many hours just to learn and understand the history and different perspectives from different people so that you can have empathy and understanding like, okay, this is where they're coming from. But at the same time, one of the things I think that I love about all three of us is like, I don't really waver on what I think is right or wrong. Um, I'm, I, I'm pretty clear on, on that and I'm okay vocalizing that when I have clarity. Um, but I think what gets people in trouble is when they're trying to forcibly um, convince someone, whether it's religion, right, Christian, Muslim, whatever it is, and they're trying to convince someone of or persuade them to come to the other side. And I think there's a way you can do that, but I think it takes a level of patience and understanding and having um, a very empathetic, open mind to see where that person's coming from. Because unless you can kind of see, even if you don't agree, if you can't see where that other person's coming from, how on earth are you able to kind of bring them to the side that you find is the right way, right? As far as, and I think, you know, as an Ethiopian air train person, um, it's not the same thing, 
But there was a huge conflict with Eritrea and Ethiopia for many, many, many years, right? And a lot of people had a lot of feelings, right? Valid feelings on both sides. Um, and unfortunately, it's usually just, you know, the government, it's not the people. And so I was able to have empathy looking at the situation um, with Palestine and Israel to say, okay, it's it's similar but different. But I think the best way is to learn and educate yourself um, from the people who do know. I think history is so, so, so important. Um, and I think having a sense of humanity and that, and what's one last thing I'll say before I pass it off is I notice sometimes people you do caveats, right? They say something's right or wrong. If it's right or wrong, it should be right or wrong across the board, regardless of the ethnicity. But when it's something yeah. that might be personal to you, right, or something that was told to you as a child or, you know, based on your um, your background, it's hard for you to say, but it's okay because of X, Y, Z, right? You're giving these exceptions, you're giving, it was just kind of hypocritical. And so I would just always challenge people to say, well, if this was a situation, um, how would you feel? Right. If you take if you take yourself out of the equation. Um, and so hopefully that makes sense. But for me, I try to learn as much as I can from the people who have different perspectives. Right. So I talk to Palestinians. I talk to Jews. I talk to everyone. I talk to people who are outside, who are there, because um, that adds a level of depth and um, and comprehension on the situation. And I think that people need to do that and then have a sense of compassion, humanity, and then speak out for what's right and what's wrong. Because it, if there's no equality for everyone, particularly the innocent, particularly um, individuals who did nothing wrong, um, how can we just stand idly by? Um, at least for me, and I don't, you know, have an organization, I'm not, you know, affiliated with any political, you know, huge entity, like, I feel that I have the freedom to speak my mind on what I think is right. So um, that's my take well on that. Well said. Yeah. Um, Leela, I wanted to ask you a question about what you mentioned with, um, you know, the, what the genocide that was. Was it genocide in Ethiopia? That was, right? It was considered, was it by definition genocide? Like, again, the news doesn't cover so, a lot of this stuff. Yeah. So I have a different perspective. That's saying a different mm-hmm. perspective. But um, so what I was describing was uh, Ethiopian Eritrea. So there were once one country, now there were two countries, and there was a lot of civil um, unrest across the borders of those two right. countries. Now what's happening is that, um, you know, it's long story short, there was, you know, a, a government that was previously um, running Ethiopia. They're no longer in power. They reside in the Tigray region. That's predominantly the TPLF group. And um, they attacked, I believe it was like an army base of some sort for the new government. And then now there's been a lot of retaliation where unfortunately a lot of innocent civilians have been pushed out of the Tigray northern region. And um, with those refugees, um, people are claiming atrocities of genocide, um, which you know, seems to be the case based on amnesty and a few other um, third parties. However, there are also additional ethnic groups in Ethiopia who also claim the same thing. Um, there's Amhara genocide, uh, Oromo genocide. And so um, there just seems to be a lot of pain and a lot of um, injustice um, in that region. And I really, really hope it breaks my heart because at the end of the day, it's just people, you know, people are just hurting everywhere. Um, and so that's kind of at a very, very quick high level, um, the situation on the ground right, right now. Right. Well, and you know, it's, it's kind of the media as well. Like you go to CNN's main page, they're not even talking about Gaza, right? Like it, it, it's like, and these are progressive, right? People are like, oh, they're so open-minded. But then you look at Al Jazeera English and they're covering it. And then like, obviously with what's going on, like, 
the reason I found out about that was because I saw it in someone's bio discussing like what you just mentioned about the, the, the mm. Tigran. Is that right? Is that how you say it? Tigray region. Mm-hmm. I saw it in someone's mm-hmm. bio and I was like, wait a second, let me look this up. And I was like, where the fuck is this on the news? Like, you know, so it, it's like you get frustrated, but then it's also like, I think in this day and age, it's also our, the onus is on us as well to do extra research. We we can't wait for the news to spoon feed us, right? Like that's not really going to work anymore. So that that's right. I mean, in going to Tessa, a lot of the things that I saw was, you know, fortunately is, is was her social media mm-hmm. posts that she posted and a few mm-hmm. others. Uh, and that's where I kind of said, okay, and I can start diving deeper. And then now, you know, it's on the news a little bit right. more, but it's, it's amazing how social media and you're getting these uh, horrible, you know, real life feeds of what's right. happening. Like you can't deny, oh, these are like docked up or something, <laughs> right? Like this is actually happening on the right. ground. And I do think that's, what's amazing about social media, regardless of you know the sure. negative um, implications of it, that it's allowing everyday citizens to share their personal stories and their experiences um, to the Especially world. on Twitter. Like my mom was there a couple years ago and just because of her headscarf, she was kept for six hours without water. And my mom's like, her English Whoa. barely, she, and I'm not saying it, even if you what? had an accent, it matters, but she had, you know, has been an American citizen since she was 16 or 17 and she's in her fifties. And, and, you know, mm. and then at the end they were just like, okay, well you can go. And like, and it was just, and, it, and they were treated so poorly and just because she was wearing hijab. So mm. they, they, and my mom said, even walking around that. Israel, she's like, people would cower around her. And like, you would think it'd be like America because of nine 11, but a lot of that in Israel, like people are really scared, like of anyone who's wearing a hijab, right? There's just, there's a lot of it's funny people say PTSD, but I think it's actually happening currently. So it's actually just trauma. It's mm-hmm. not really post. <laughs> it's just TTSD or whatever you would call it. But um, yeah, Leela, that was really, really illuminating. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, Tessa, I would love to hear um, kind of how you've uh, kind of navigated this. You know, you posted like so beautifully and I'm so happy because you, I saw Ahmed Eldin that you had reposted. So he's actually going to come on my podcast too. So I appreciate you for um, bringing me on to him because he's done a great job reporting on all of this stuff. So. Thank you so much, Amir and Leela. I was just sitting here just um, taking so many notes from you. I always love your insights. So thank you for that. And Amir, Mm -hmm. I feel the same way though. So many of the things that you posted, we were reposting each other (laughs) and in the fight together. Right, right. That's right. (laughs) Weeks or so. Um, And Ahmed, yes, I'm I'm excited to tune into that one as well um, and be a part because he's just an incredible human. Incredible. I think the thing that I would say... First and foremost is, huh, um, I think a lot of people just don't understand the, um, maybe have not been privy to the 
history here. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this was, this has been 73 years, mm-hmm. right? So um, I always link it to, because my dad, who's like so, 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 so pro-Palestine, always has oh, been, um, always, as so many others do, remind that any movement of, impression, of oppression is aligned and that we are together in a fight against apartheid. Um, and so any states have a part of that. And so I think that we have to like remember that if we, one of the beautiful things that I saw was that um, if people are able to, to criticize and critique the Trump administration for putting kids in cages and still love America, wave that flag and do everything else, you should also be able to say that there's Israeli really government is committing war crimes and mm-hmm. is a part of a genocide movement um, while still loving and embracing all Israeli people. One, mm. we're not all Jewish, that, you know, are Muslim and Christian and Jewish and atheist and so many other identities embedded. Absolutely. So it shouldn't, it should not be lost on people. Mm. To love a nation is to criticize her, right? As James Baldwin always reminds us. And so it didn't make me less American to question Trump. It made me more committed because I knew that we were better. So I would hope that people would think about that. This is not a question about which religion is greater or definitely not these like Olymp- um, oppression Olympics. That's the phrase I've heard recently about who has had more versus this and that. Absolutely not. The second thing I would say is that our movements are in are so intimately um, entwined. So I'm from Podunk, Michigan, outside Detroit, not right in the city where all the cool people are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our only claim to fame is that I grew up right down the street from Malcolm X. Love that. Um, and so he was always <laughs> such um, a advocate for the Palestine people. And actually the first time I ever heard about when I was so young, I'm the youngest in my family, and my parents um, were very much about um, involving us in activism and providing us with exposure to events, not just in our community, but around the world and understanding where we came from, but also others that have provided um, deep, wealth to deep wealth in terms of uh, spirit and knowledge uh, to allow for progress. And so when I think about that, a lot of people are like, oh, because I, I love what you said, Amir, like, oh, why do you, why do you care? Like, I'm clearly not from Palestine, but I know the torture of human rights, mm-hmm. right? And so when the UN has called, I think they're now like 165 measures of um, violations of human rights law. When we hear these things around how they are just atrocious mishandlings of justice, it. I hope that people would be called to understand. One of my things that um, I... I love one of my friends, Zelly, who um, he's in New Jersey and just a powerful activist. 
Um, he's a black American and also Muslim. He posted something and I will quote it here. If your liberation is only for a specific group of people, you don't want to be liberated. You want to be in control. Mm -hmm. What I noticed mm. in this movement, it was a beautiful, I have noticed in this movement, it's been a beautiful exercise in understanding who are the people that really care about justice, freedom, or liberty, or who are the people that just want the people that look like them or feel like them or with whom they identify to be at the top, right? We've seen this in the feminist movement time and time and again, mm. right? It's like, do you want to be in control? Mm. Do you actually care about people in general, globally, humanitarianly being free and allowed and liberated? and liberated. We've seen this across the LGBTQ movement globally. Mm -hmm. Do you actually care mm. about it or do you want yourself to be, I mean, I can, we can go on and on and on. So actually what I think is really powerful is um, what people sometimes critique us or like Amira is saying is like, um, it would, it would be wild. Like we don't choose um, the, the bodies of the mothers and lands in which we are born so why it would be wild to think that those would be the only communities in which we could support. And so I always just want to like remind people of that because it's like, if, if that's it, if your only loyalties to um, for outcry and justice are within the communities in which you sit, reflect, sit back on what that means. Is it about you and just your people? Or do you have like a deep sense of wanting people to be free? Because those are very different things. Are you, are you out there marching and um, working because you want you and yours to have? Mm. Or do you want many to have? And these couple of weeks have kind of been like <laughs> you, the, the, you, you see people rise to the top or you see people being silent. And it's not to say that social media is the only, is the only um, measure, but so many people that, that uh, say things or are happy to post and speak about other things, but not about this, right? Because it doesn't benefit them. Right. Well, there's, okay, there's also a lot of fear, Tessa, like growing up, like saying free Palestine That's what I was gonna say, is the a bad word. Here, right? It was a bad word. Like in my family, like, I think it's, I think, yes, absolutely. I think that is too. Um, so in the community that I grew up with, they were, um, we had a huge Jewish community and the first actually, <laughs> um, Palestine America I met was Rashida. Um, so it's, I, I think some 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 of it might be fear retaliation, but there's some people who don't even they're not even so connected for it to be about fear. Mm. Just pe mm. just regular people who like mm. have a private account on Instagram and were happy to post about things about you know abortion and this that and the other thing, um, and other babies maybe passing away or dying by bombs or in cages, but not about these, right? Mm. So. Wow, yeah, yeah, right. So it's so it's not even a it's not even people that have um um a responsibility or accountability or might have, you know, backlash. It's just I think just like normal everyday people. So I'm 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 not I'm not shaming anyone, but I do think there's a, there's a moment to think about why is that? Right. We have to ask ourselves. Right. Why is it that 
what is why do I stand up for these movements and not those movements? Some of it is not about the people, though. It's so much about the misinformation and misunderstanding. Leela, you echoed that so beautifully. We know that we are a loyal and really loving ally to Israel. And that's always been the case through all three of our lifetimes. Um, and so, of course, that's going to, I had to unlearn and relearn, as we've all had said, about what do these things mean? And like, oh, wow, like I had, you know, and social media has been a blessing to like make sure to do my research and understand deeper people. But the last thing I will say is that um, I hope that people can separate that from religion and from government to understand mm-hmm. that this is just a moment of humanity. Mm-hmm. And what, how you operate in this issue or what you say or don't say is a little bit indicative of maybe where your heart lies. Mm. Not for everybody, but for people who usually speak up or usually dive into issues that relate directly to them. So that's the last thing I'll say. Yeah. Can I can I add something to what you said, Tessa? Because I thought that was so profound. When you think about um, when I was listening to you talk, it's about accountability, right? And so, and I love what you said, like, if you love America, if you love, love Israel, if you love human beings, right? just like us as individuals and countries, politics, they're just a a micro level of humans, right? Like that's just what it is. So if you think about it, if you think about children or friends, like Tessa, if I do something wrong as a friend, I would hope you would hold me to be accountable for my actions as my friend, because you care, Mm. right? And I would hope that me as an individual, I, Leela Talks, want to continuously improve and become a better version of myself. So why isn't it that countries the U.S., Israel, all these different entities, do their own self-reflection of how can we be better? How can we, and I love what you said, just because it's not a sense of criticizing. It's I would say it's a growth opportunity to be better, right? And to keep yourself and others accountable that you care about. And so I just love what you just said, because I think that really resonates with um, the idea of becoming, you know, a, a more evolved <laughs> country in this modern era. And I just think that's, that's so, so, so important. And looking at it from a humanity, stripping away politics, stripping away religion, mm-hmm. stripping away of just the fact of like what is right and wrong. Right. And I think regardless of the religion, everyone can kind of agree <laughs> on what the, that's kind of quite clear. Right. And so it, it's just really disheartening as you just so eloquently stated on the ex- exceptions of, well, a child's life, you know, with this anti-abortion in this situation is, is wrong, but in that situation, it's different because of X, Y, Z, right. Mm-hmm. And not being able to see it for what it is as it being, um, potentially, um, not the same thing, but, um, from that person's rhetoric, if you care about that so, so much, then why would you care about this? And mm-hmm. I, just, I just love how you put that. But, but I think, Tessa, it's Thank also, you, I mean, sorry, uh, Leela, it's also conditioning, too. Like, with the Middle East, like, this situation is very, mm-hmm. like, no matter what, we will defend ourselves, right? If that And that's what Netanyahu said, and it's mm-hmm. very specific. So no matter what. So even if it is, like, oh, chill, it doesn't, at that point, 
anything goes. And, you know, I'm sure you all have seen the videos of, again, it's going against every international law to, to grenades against medical staff. No matter what the medical staff is doing, mm-hmm. you have to let them through. That is like common international law. All of that is totally out the window. And I think that it's hard when America, the UK are all co-signing. But then I was watching BBC last night and the UK is exalting Egypt for stepping in to help. Why aren't you helping? Egypt had its own civil war. Like it has its own issues to deal with. Like it's not like Egypt has all the funds, but they had huge trucks of food and water and et cetera. So it's kind of like, it's kind of goes back to other issues as well. When people that need the help, they shouldn't be helping themselves. The Middle East should not help itself. Like it needs help from the outside. It's like the queer community. People are like, well, I'm not gay. So what? You need rights. So why do black trans women need to step up and start the gay, the, the whole queer movement? Why do people exactly. need to step up and speak for themselves? Like we're tired. <laughs> like It's like, we need help, you know? And it's kind of like the BLM movement. It was like, we're tired. And it was the first time that white people were out. This is the first time I've gotten DMs from white people asking me, what should I post? Can I post this about Palestine? Is this offensive. I've never gotten these messages ever. And this issue in the Mm. Middle East has been going on my entire life and I'm 35. So this is not like a new thing. Children being murdered in the Middle East is not a new thing. So I I think that there is a shift. Anyone that's Middle Eastern that I've spoken to has said, this feels different. Like Bella Hadid, Gigi Hadid, the fact these people are speaking up and the New York Times is like, you know, getting mad at them and posting long ads about them. Like something's different. Like and, and I don't know if y'all well, have felt it, but there's so real, a... Amir, don't you think it's it's pivotal, just like George Floyd, yeah. like that has been happening so, so, so long. Yeah. There's these pivotal moments where it's just so mm-hmm. graphic mm-hmm. and so clear. And so there's no subjectiveness to it right. that it's like, ah, it's it's, it's it's a huge shift, right? I, I, Absolutely. I, I feel like it's kind of similar in that mm-hmm. sense of change. Yep. Absolutely. And you can't write it better either. Like when the fact they, they bombed a school that was helping kids work through their PTSD and they killed them. Like, I mean, you, this is like, it's crazier than a movie. I'm like, honestly, that's, that's the story that broke my heart of everything. That one broke yeah. my heart the most. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You know what broke my heart? I mean, there's a lot of stories, but what broke my heart, they call it sibling separation. So you split up your family among different households so you don't all die together. That's crazy. Like, if someone reads that and they go, oh, I'm Israeli, I'm Jewish, it doesn't matter what you are. That at its core is like so effed up. Like, yeah. That should affect so you. And if that doesn't affect you, then you need to go to therapy. You need to sit in something because there's something wrong with you. Truly. Like, I'm sorry. Truly. I'm not trying to no, be judgmental, truly. but like if that, if people have to split up their ki- kids apart so they don't die together, like if that doesn't make you feel something, then I really don't know what to do for you. Like, I just don't. Exactly, Amir. Do you know what made me the most sad about that? Is because the first time I learned about it was on Twitter mm-hmm. and it's... It was a gentleman who said, I've adopted a tradition from my father that had to do this with with saying he and his siblings. The fact that this has been a generational practice because you think and you know and you have seen that whole families, and of course we've seen this these last couple of weeks, are just wiped away. That made me so sad and like we have to make sure these children who hopefully are spared will never have to do that practice like their father and their grandfather had to do. Yeah. 
I mean, that's the goal, right? And and there are a lot of people that messaged me and said, you know, my grandparents used to live side by side peacefully. Absolutely. But those are your grandparents. So if you want to live in that fantasy, it's kind of like when people say the good old days. I've heard this from Americans. Oh, the good old days where black men were being lynched when when like queer people were being murdered and called pedophiles. I don't know what good old days you're talking about, right? Like that's what I don't like quite understand where it's like, this idea of this nostalgia, and I've gotten this message a lot over the past couple of weeks. You're making something out of nothing. It's Hamas. Like you're making it out of nothing. Everything's peaceful. I have friends that live in Israel. Living in Tel Aviv is not Palestine. It's like South Korea, North Korea. Like they are not the same. So a lot of people are like, well, it's, it's dangerous for everyone. Yes. And no, there's a lot of protections for Tel Aviv. So it's like saying, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like the zoo has cages. You're pretty much safe. Yeah. Like there's, but you can get through that. I understand that, but at least there's some safeguards. They don't have anything there. Like it is the most populated place in the world. That's the most dangerous. I mean, I think a lot of people just don't know this stuff and I'm not trying to be like a know-it-all because I've learned recently as well, but, and I get emotional and passionate because yes, it is my culture, but it's also like the first time where I feel like a lot of the world is starting to care because for a long time it was very lonely. And, you know, working in Hollywood, I couldn't speak up. I've lost jobs for saying, you know, and even now I'm nervous, like to lose opportunities. Like I'm lucky that one of the producers that I'm working with is pro Palestinian, but honestly, like this could lose, I could lose a lot of jobs just even speaking about this stuff. Like I know that. So it's just, it's yeah, just must be, must be really clear, Amir. First of all, your voice is so powerful and I don't want you to ever silence it. This is not some small thing, right? So as of this morning, and I, I probably are more by now, right? Almost 95,000 people in Gaza have been rendered homeless, Wow! right? Like the, all, all the COVID testing centers are closed down. Yep. No Israel vaccines has, either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, has uh, there have never been, they have always blocked vaccines. Mm-hmm. All goods and services and medicines are blocked. Infrastructure and materials to rebuild and re, um, schools and hospitals. I mean, of course, school, we're, like we've been talking about kids, have been closed on for a very long time, many of which have been destroyed, right? So the homes of tens of thousands of families. So it's not, you are not saying or doing something that's too extra to this or to that. Can you imagine if that had happened in the United States? There's never been an atrocity that that rendered that many people homeless and without basic services. 96% of people right now in Gaza don't have access to clean running water. Wow. Water. Water. That's crazy. And then steps away is like fully functioning city. You know, that that's the thing. It's like, it's like it's so obvious. It like, yeah, girls just like going to brunch and like mm-hmm. cheering their pain. <laughs> yeah. And, and oh, listen, yeah. I understand that. The people that are going to brunch in Tel Aviv, there are suicide bombers there. I get it. But again, it goes back to the is every Israeli pro Palestine like pro Zionist or is every Jewish person Zionist? No. Are all Muslims going to be suicide bombers? Absolutely not. So this, and again, I get all the trauma. I understand it. But even like, I am, listen, I have worked so hard to work through the anti-Semitism that I was passed down into me. When you're Muslim, you're there. When you're Jewish, you, you 
learn to not trust Muslims. Muslims are told not to trust Jewish people. That is just a dichotomy. It's an issue in the community that I've worked through my trauma around that. So when people call me anti-Semitic for speaking the truth, or if I don't want to post a blue square, I'm not going to do that because we saw with the black squares on social media, what that did to the BLM movement. It's doing the same thing again. It's Mm -hmm. again, it's creating an empty space. Like, why are those spaces not filled with Jewish people living beautiful lives? Why are we posting blue squares? This is again, it murkies up this the message. The messaging is messed up. And that's the thing that I'm not gonna fall because I did that with the black square and I realized, wait a second, this is not doing what everyone thought it was gonna do, right? So these all these things are just really confusing. And I get it, people don't know where to donate and what to do, but having those conversations with your friends that are saying things like, oh, that's Hamas or like what Megan McCain is saying. And it's just all the stuff that people are saying, it's not always right because they have a blue check mark. Like you have to check people's like sources. Like people just make stuff up. Like how can Hamas be responsible for this when they were only created 10 years ago? Like this is going on before that. Like, again, I don't want to be so like, I'm not supportive of Hamas as a terrorist organization. I get it. But like, that's a different thing. And and also, America has to understand that they've created power vacuums around the world by eliminating certain groups. These governments are unstable. They're going to fill it with someone else that's a bit more insidious sometimes, right? So that happens. So I just don't want people to sleep on this stuff. And again, I don't want to make everything about this. But in some ways, it's consumed me. And the least that I can do as people have lost their children is be consumed, right, by an issue. So that's kind of where I land with it. But no, again, I really appreciate both of you really bringing a lot of attention to it. And, you know, I could talk about this forever. And there, you know, there's a lot that can happen. And there's a lot that is happening, which I think is great. It's a great momentum. Um, But I do want to change gears as we kind of you were almost at an hour. So um, if y'all, if if there's any last thoughts about this, we can move on to a different topic. Can I just say 30 seconds real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Are you kidding? Yeah. I like, (laughs) no, sorry. I'll be with it. I like that you brought up Hamas because a lot of people are, are saying about Hamas. And one of the things, because as we know, it's such a, such a minority group Mm -hmm. and they're, they're more um, members of the KKK than of Hamas. Right. So like my family was raided by a KKK growing up. Last time I was intruded by the KKK was just in January in Atlanta. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. represent a government. And the last thing, and then finally, um, what has been happening is I feel like there've been some, actually some really beautiful examples of people from all communities, the Jewish community, the Israeli community, the Palestinian community and others that are like realizing that this is like a big um, priority. So I hope that that continues because I continue to see some videos where um, especially Jewish folks being able to say, you know what? I was le- I learned this and I didn't know about the roots mm. of all of these causes. Yeah. I'm unlearning and relearning and trying to understand in deeper ways and better ways and we are all just human. So I have, I've loved those demonstrations and those testimonies and um, all of that, because I think that there are people who are actually coming to the fold and um, hoping to see that. I mean, I hope that continues. And uh, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Thank you. And real quick, just two seconds, just piggybacking off of what Tessa said. At the end of the day, you know, um, and a lot of people don't agree with me. That's fine. But when you look at things, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's Palestine, 
you can't do it alone. You can't just liberate yourself Mm -hmm, individually. It's a power paradigm. So until the people in power change, oppression will still occur, right? And I know a lot of people disagree with me, but that's just the uh, uncomfortable fact that the people who are in power, the people who have the power, whether it's social economic, whether it's access, whether it's, you know, border, regardless of what it is. And so to see more people on the side of, um, you know, the, the argument, having more revelations and having more conversations with their own community about the atrocities, regardless of, you know, the, the topic, that's at least for me at least, uh, encouraging to see because I find that we're very divisive across the board. Even Ethiopia, people are not just saying, oh, I'm Ethiopian. They're being so specific in the ethnic group, which would never happened years, years ago. So this is not just America and the Middle East. This is everywhere. Um, but I am happy to see that people are starting to have more dialogue, particularly those um, in their own community, to kind of say, hey, let's start changing and thinking about the way that we have been you know, preconditioned. So just, I know we're moving on, but I just wanted to kind of echo that before we complete. No, I'm that. happy you said yeah. something. <laughs> um, this this is your podcast that is as it, as it is mine. <laughs> so I, I'm happy you shared that. You're so cute. <laughs> um, you know, what you said really resonated with me because I think both what both of y'all said is like, when it comes to this issue, there's also a level of like, I think sometimes as a Middle Eastern man, I want to kind of have like a tantrum. I want to be like, it's not fair, right? Like, again, with atrocities, that's at its core. I mean, making it very like dumbing it down is that it's not fair, right? The way that like a child that is a black child or an Asian child that goes missing, they're not going to be on billboards. But a white child goes missing, they're going to be on billboards. There's like, and then it's also like that with Israeli, Palestinian. If this was, if 200 and however many, 300 now, Israelis had died, the entire world would come to a screeching halt. And that, to me, that's where I'm like, oh my god! Like there is such well, an right. obvious. Amir, remember that difference. wasn't it the um, the the uh, Notre Dame, the the bell or what have you mm-hmm. in France? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, the, right. The church, where yep. there was Look an what accident. Yeah, yep. their profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a real thing. I mean, people like people are like, well, I don't know how to feel. Well, you felt something for an empty church. Like, so you're t- mm. people can summon feelings when they want, right? And again, mm. I think sometimes you see too, and I took this anthropology class where if you see too many images, you become desensitized. I think that unfortunately, there's so much trauma in the last year and a half that a lot of people have just turned off and they're mm. deciding to change the channel. But that's why celebrity is so, the reason I love celebrities and the reason that I worked as a publicist for all these years is there is a power in it's great if I speak up, but when Michael B. Jordan speaks up, this someone I worked for, it's like it, it, people stop. When Bella Hadid, mm. Gigi Hadid, they stop in their tracks. So when celebrities speak up, it does make yeah. people stop and go, wait, okay, this kid dying is really sad, but it's so much sadder that Gigi Hadid is sad. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, mm. but that's how people think. They're like, oh my God, yes. it's affecting her. That's a real thing. That's a real thing in celebrity. So yeah, that that really has been such an interesting shift with this whole thing. Is like I wow. wanted, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was because Amir, well, you're a celebrity in my heart and to many others too, when you're <laughs> involved in the entertainment world. So I wanted Same. Yep, he is. <laughs> so I wanted I I'm glad that you brought up what you what your reflections of people how people in that space have responded and reacted and you know, communicated has, I don't know if you wanted to say anything more. Have there been people um, that you have been disappointed about or like, I was oh, so happy. Yeah, many. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, anyways, I just, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I know you wanted to move on to your next topic. No, no, you're fine. You many disappointments. A lot of Real Housewives, a lot of Bravo people that I looked up to <laughs> that have such atrocious stuff. You know, I, but you know, it, it's kind of amazing because sometimes out of that ridiculousness, there's a lot of people on Clubhouse that I had to unfollow that I was like, I just, we don't agree on anything in life. It's like, I just don't want to be around your space. And and that's fine. I, I'm i not going to go out of my way. It's not my job to educate, but it's my job to distance. So I will distance myself from that situation. But, you know, I had a really great conversation with Kyle Richards' daughter, who's like a Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And okay, she's- Excuse me. Yes, I did. Miss <laughs> Farah. Yes, I did. And, she, you know, and she's half Jewish, half Muslim. So I, the mm-hmm. fact that she's a half, like half of each, like you get such an interesting. So it was just really interesting to have a conversation with her where it was like, I understand this side. I understand that side. But it wasn't all lives matter. It was like, I get it, but I'm upset. And like, I thought that was really cool because, again, a lot of people are doing the can't love heal everything. And I'm like, with all due respect, the time for love is over. Like, I don't like when people say things like that, it feels very all lives matter. It feels very, um, let's just put yeah. a bandaid on a bullet hole. I'm like, mm-hmm. I got a lot of those like white, which is, which was my next question anyway. So it works perfectly. But the white guilt, I got a lot of white tears. Someone sent me a voice note of them crying. And I was like, wait, really? what? Yeah. What? yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was someone I don't know. And she was like, I'm a white lady and I feel so upset. And she sent me a video. Like, it was on a video voice note of her crying. And I was like, do you really want me to take this on on top of everything else that I have to take on? Like, so I want to ask y'all about the white tears, the white guilt. Like, how, I've just kind of stopped responding to it. I don't I don't feel the need to say anything about it. But there is a lot of that. There's a lot of people messaging me, oh, you're racist against white people. You're like, hey, white people. So how do you navigate you know, obviously all of us work in spaces with white people and sometimes they don't know any better. Like, how do you navigate the white guilt, the white tears, like the pity? I don't know. It just, for me, it's just really hard. That pity is really difficult. Hmm. This is Lila. I'll go first. Um, I haven't had, I mean, I know you've shared some stories that, you know, people have DM'd you and even the rooms that we've had. Um, but I think, for me, uh, the reason why I started getting more passionate in this isn't just externally for like the greater good of like social causes, even internally within the grassroots movement, I saw that there was issues, right? So a lot of the stuff I do is in Virginia and Northern Virginia and predominantly, um, you know, progressive white women who label themselves progressive, um, Democrats (laughs) and, um, they have certain agendas and policies that they promote within Virginia. And I know there was a lack of diversity. And so I, I had a workshop with about 200 people for our summit. And it was about a conversation about racism in everyday life. And the purpose of that was to explain very concretely, specifically how their actions you know, not just white people, but progressives particularly. I think that's that that's really, you know, hit home for me because it's like, okay, if your core values are equality, if your core values are justice, if your core values are, you know, uplifting, you know, disadvantaged communities, how are you showing up really? You know, or are your actions, you know, like the bird lady, you know, the Karen or whatever. I don't even know if her name was really Karen, uh, right? In New York, like, how are you really acting in your every day-to-day life? And um, it was very, very interesting. Most people listened. Um, so I didn't get a lot of uh, the white tears, white guilt. It was more of people seeking information. I think what mm-hmm. I see more of is people not knowing where to go. Right. Because right. they say, 
well, you know, when they reach out to people of color, the BIPOC community, um, you know, individuals are saying, hey, I'm emotionally exhausted. Do your own homework, right? Go do your work. Don't, you know, tap into me. It's already too much, as you were kind of alluding to, Amir, with your share. Um, and then they might go off and do their own thing and they might get the wrong source or information. So I, I've seen, if anything, this balance of, you know, how do they go about finding the right information and right. Right, using the right resources, right? Because there are a lot of resources out there, but if you read the wrong thing, um, you're going to, you know, learn the wrong thing on um, the different mindsets. Mm-hmm. And so more so white guilt, it's more of, um, you know, where do I start and how do I start and how do I grow and how do I um, change this this thinking? But um, but I know like us three have done a lot of clubhouse rooms and in those rooms, that's, that is actually the first time I've actually heard some of the the white guilt and but surprisingly there's an acknowledgement of it right it wasn't like they're saying something in response and they're communicating white guilt they're actually saying like i feel guilty i feel bad i feel bad that i have white privilege and etc um and so i don't personally i don't feel upset i don't feel angry i don't feel anything when i hear those things um and and again maybe it's just my environment i just see it as an opportunity to say I challenge them on, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Right? Like if you feel this guilt, if you feel, if you've acknowledged, you know, you know, injustice, you know, with the privilege that you have, what are you doing? Where do you send your children to school? What do you do when you're walking around certain neighborhoods? You know, you know, how are you, um, you know, improving even in like, for example, Virginia, I feel like they do a lot of stuff like environmental issues. That's a lot of things that they care about versus I feel I'm more passionate about the criminal justice reform. And so how are you kind of taking care of like pollution and trash in neighborhoods, right? Or if it's not your neighborhood, do you not care? And so for me, I, I just see it as an opportunity to say, okay, you feel guilty or you feel sad or you feel a certain kind of way. Now what? You know, do something, right? And so for me, I don't have anger or upset. It's more of a sense of opportunity to challenge that person to do something with uh, whatever feelings they're having. So that's me. I love that. It's kind of like you're doing like a call to action. And there was a woman that like, when they check their privilege, it's like, it's so refreshing. She would have been like, I don't want to burden you, but can I? And then I was like, here are all these resources. Like she gave me that second wind by just being like, I know this is a lot, but can you? And then, mm. you know, people like Ahmed Eldin, there's there's people that are kind of doing the work. So it kind of helps where you can kind of reference people to this profile or mm. look this up, this mm. person. Because I also don't want to be like, especially if someone's trying, I think, a lot of times there's a lot of shaming when someone wants to be helpful. And then it's kind of like, well, this is too complicated. It also doesn't really involve me. I'm out. Like, and they're just going to kind of, and this happens a lot with the queer community where, you know, you'll misgender someone or mispronoun and they'll be like, F you. And they'll, and I'm like, okay, I get you're upset, Mm. but it's, it's okay to take a deep breath. And I'm not saying you have to be a certain way. You're allowed to have your feelings, but also this person now that could have been a quote unquote, like ally is now like, well, this is too much for me. I'm out. Like, and they can do that because they're allowed to change the channel because it doesn't affect them. Um, so what you said is is very accurate. Yeah. And one last thing, Amir, and you just yeah. reminded me of something. So, yeah. you know, I'm a, identify as a black woman, right? And so that's related to gender and race. Um, but even with the LGBTQIA plus community, especially with the transgender community, I'm not as familiar. Um, and so I asked a friend on Clubhouse, and I'm going to be really honest, and I could go online and look up books, but which book should I, you know, find? And so I pulled him into a room, um, and I asked him some 
questions. I said, please give me grace. I'm probably going to mess up. I'm probably, the questions I'm asking might even offend you. And I apologize, but these are some of the questions I have and where should I go? And he spent about a good 30 minutes with me. And and so that's why I try to have some, some empathy where he could have just said, I'm going to give you my time. No, I'm, you know, again, everyone has their own lane. And I think we just got to be careful of not telling other people how to do it. Like I'm a person that I don't mind sharing information resources. Like I'm comfortable with that. Others say, no, my work is to to empower the people in my own community. And I want to focus on them. I don't want to focus on potential allies. Right. And that's okay. I'm just really big on like not forcing your way of how to get to the same goal. Like we all have the same goal of equality and we all have different ways of going about it. And no one should feel shamed to do it one way. That's different than maybe Tessa's way or Amir's way, even though all of us are the same. Um, So just wanted to kind of add that too. Amen. I love that. Tessa, my darling, would you like to add? Yeah, sure. I love this question because I feel like I've had a lot of it. (laughs) I'm sure you have. (laughs) So I grew up in a very, very suburban um, area and outside of Detroit, but like, I think my class was 420. I'll never forget it because people thought it was so funny. Um, This is 420, but they were, I believe, 20 of us of color. Um, and so it's, and I, a lot of, but some of my deepest, closest, most, um, magical and beautiful friends. Right. And then across my life, I've had huge, I've been in huge communities that were predominantly folks of color and then others where they have not been. Um, I've lived in Brazil and Guatemala and I've been in workspaces where it's a lot of white folks or like a lot of black folks. So kind of just, I've seen from a different ways. Um, but especially the last two weeks, um, I would say with everything going on with Palestine and Israel, um, and I would, I might extend to the Black Lives Matter movement, I found there are a lot of people in my life who, in their heart, and I truly think they believe it, um, they are, they feel as though they are so open and so liberal and they voted for like Warren or Bernie or, you know, and they like, um, support so many things, but like, they don't really have an understanding. I'm speaking, I'm speaking directly, um, to the white woman in my life, but they don't really have an understanding about three things. One, how they intentionally or unintentionally perpetuate the patriarchy and like the sips, the systems that they are a part of or the things that they ignore. I don't even see are so a part of the system. Like I, I think they see themselves as really outside of it. Right. So many of the people that I know, um, especially now, um, have kids and work in places, um, where they have a lot of power to be able to impact, um, and don't really have a reckoning or understanding of what this all means, but will like be like, but we'll do kind of what Lila was saying, where she's like, okay, like where can I donate or like this? It's like that's not really what's needed, right? I think we need, um, um, I think we need a radical new understanding of like some of these, some of these issues, um, and like how some of these things came to be. And for a lot of people, it's not because they, it's not their fault. It's because the system they've been a part of. Um, I always talk about how when I was little, my I'm the youngest, my sister, brother, and I, none of us in our elementary school, which I loved with my whole heart, um, 
had any mention of slavery in our textbooks, our social studies textbooks. What? And my mom oh my and and yes, a collection of six other women of color for six years advocated just to get slavery mentioned. Oh my god. And then two, That's crazy, Tessa. Yeah. Super crazy. Yeah, I remember her telling me straight <laughs> crazy. And it wasn't until wow. I graduated elementary school and I was the last one and my family's um all right to leave elementary school um, where it finally passed. So I think some of it is like people just truly, and and one, I, I, I want to say one of two things. I think we should know both the pain and the joy of the of the beautiful experiences of people of color, right? So like right. slavery does not define um, all black folks, but I think it's important to understand as you're trying to wrestle with and understand even what's on the news today, how you interact with other people, you know? So so that so like when I think about that, and that that's where I can give a little bit of grace, like Leela was saying, because I'm like, if you if you didn't even know that, like I can't even imagine. And I grew up in a household in a sorry, in a community where it was kind of flip-flopped from what anyone would imagine. So um my parents wow. and other professionals were um, a lot of folks of color, international folks, immigrants, like expats, um, like all of our families. And then beside us was a huge community, a huge um, trailer park community where my mom volunteered every single day after work. She's got off work at four and we would always go with her. So it was like a really big flop in terms of like what people think about race and class and power. And I think that's what's given me a lot of energy to think of. I mean, of course, they're also like middle class and upper class white folks, but like the the largest um, community in poverty in our area was that of folks who are Caucasian. And so that was like a, that, so that, mm. that's always been. But that's something. financial privilege, right? A lot of people were like, I've heard exactly. that a lot. Where people were like, I don't have privilege. I was raised in a trailer park, but exactly. you were safe in 99% of spaces. Exactly. So like, even right. if you were poor, exactly. that doesn't like change that factor. Exactly. Um, that is so interesting. And then it's just, and then also the dichotomy of your mom going to help them. And it's like, and then it gets very convoluted. Like, it's just so interesting because people don't understand these dichotomies. Um, and also even in the queer community, right? Like there's so much, like people think it's this way or that way. A lot of people, oh, you're not into fashion. You're not into hair. I'm like, there are different iterations of queerness. There's different iterations of whiteness. It's the same thing. It's like, exactly. so it, it just, it's very interesting, but um, yeah, I mean, oh, I could talk to y'all forever. Oh my god, we've already been going for an hour and oh my gosh, <laughs> thirteen I'm minutes. Probably the longest. How late I was, but yes. Um, but but the last thing I want I want to say, Amir, like yes. thirty seconds, is that I the Please. analogies to the career community. I think they have to be stated because it is so true beyond belief that there are too many people that have an idea of what they feel about the queer community. They have a monolith about the queer community and they don't open up humanity. And it's disgusting and it's vile to me. And I think that the more that we can do, like you were saying, like people like you as just being such powerful representations and humans. And like one of the things that you are is queer and a million of the things that you are are things that anybody should be able to identify with is so important um, because even in a lot of the communities 
that I think of, uh, that I have sat in, I actually think that it's, it's one of the, I think it's one of the biggest injustices. I think there's been a lot of light and weight and power, very rightly so, to a lot of communities this year. But one, but the LGBTQIA community that lingers and it's been there for so long and it's not about one movement or one this or one that or one event. Um, so right. I, and, and thank you, Tessa, for getting the letters right. A lot of people will go LGBT, like they'll just start confusing all the letters. And I'm like, it doesn't matter the order, but I just, it's like that intention, right? To to say all those letters alive. Oh, isn't it too many letters? And I'm like, no, if you can't say a bunch of letters in a row, like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, that's the last thing I want to say, but I know we're living with I appreciate that. I really do. I really appreciate that. Um, I have loved having y'all on. You are always welcome to come back. Um, you know, we've talked about so many different issues and, you know, we could just keep talking forever. So I, I really appreciate both uh, Leela and Tessa for being here. Um, everyone go follow them. Uh, Tessa, where can people follow you on Instagram and Clubhouse as well? Thank you so much, Amir. So Tessa Kanene, T-E-S-S-A-K-A-N-E-E-N-E and all social media platforms. Love it. And Leela? Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Mia, for having us. It's super fun. Also, always enlightening. So on Instagram, you can find me at Leela Talks Lifestyle. And then on Clubhouse, it's just Leela Talks. So same. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you um, for y'all for being here and having these kind of hard conversations. I know um, it's not easy, but I think we had a good time. And that's the thing I always tell people. You can have these conversations and still have a good time, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm happy that y'all indulge me. I appreciate it. And thank you, Clubhouse, for bringing us together. Um, Everybody go follow both Leela and Tessa. And I'm so excited. I'm going to have Ahmed Eldin tomorrow straight from Kuwait. So we're really going to dive even deeper into this Palestinian issue. I'm going to tune in. I'm so excited. Yeah, y'all have to tune in. So I, I, you know, having these conversations, again, we can demystify stuff and also Mm -hmm. through education and humor. That's really the touchstone of all that I do um, on Instagram as well. Follow me too, Amir Yas Official. And this is The Take On with my good friends, Leela and Tessa. Thanks again, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Take On. The Take On is produced by Dory Berenstein and Alan Seals, edited by Kyle Moore, and is a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find out more about me and The Take On at bpn.fm backslash The Take On. And of course, on my Instagram at Amir Yas Official. Yes, honey, we're official. Make sure to subscribe and rate The Take On wherever you stream your podcast and keep tuning in for more amazing guests. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.